I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to see you. Good to be back. I know that last week you watched a movie that you weren't quite as close with as I was. Today I watched your movie for the first time <laughs> we're going to be talking <laughs> about today. So it was quite an experience. Um, I feel like I've been watching a ton of movies this year and you haven't been watching any. As many. As many, not any. How many, many. have you watched this year in 2021? Uh, 2022. Okay. And I've that's including rewatches. Uh, there's only one rewatch in there and that's Orange County. The movie okay. we're going to talk about today. Okay. I think I'm close to 20 movies. <laughs> yeah, but how many of those are rewatches? Because like mo- like you did like all of the Harry Potter movies. Okay, so. 21 movies this year. And I can tell you that one, two, three. Four, yeah, Jessica five, wants six. to rub it in that she's watched a lot of movies, but half of them are like Only eight re-watches. of them are rewatches. Look at that. Only Still. eight of them. Not even Still. half. <laughs> eight you're movies. so, you're so. So like better. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I've watched seven movies so far this year. It is January seventeenth. I have to try to hit my goal that I have set for myself, which is to watch twenty movies a month. Yeah, I'm there. Which I think I can do. I think <laughs> can I can. You look. I we've been doing this podcast for years, and every time we kind of compare notes as to what we're watching yeah, in our you off watch time, way more. I'm like blazing through movies. That is true. Um, I do watch other things besides movies. Uh, so, so do I. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes, then I, I don't have another excuse then. I uh, Yeah, I don't know. I literally ask you, like, what do you do all day? Like, when, when you have well, this time to watch a movie, like, I what are you doing I barely instead? have time. That's the thing. <laughs> I right. barely have the all time. Right. So the times I am watching movies is me carving it out like I need <laughs> to watch a movie. So... With that said. Okay. <laughs> Tangent aside. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars gives goes a long way for us. Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Always Critic Pod. And lastly, if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support for as little as $2 a month. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash Always Critic Pod. So last week, we went ahead and we returned to a series that we had done in the past called In Defense Of, where we... Take a movie that maybe is not reviewed that well, but one of us likes a lot, and we kind of go up to bat for it. Yeah. Pretty much. So last week, you chose 27 Dresses. I did. A movie that stars Katherine Heigl and James Marsden, and you you defended it. I went into it not really looking to attack it too hard. There was a couple of things that I wasn't like huge on, but- just to have a bit of a conversation, you know, obviously I, <laughs> I, I brought in a couple of things. But you half-heartedly like went at it. So. Right. I half-heartedly because it's not a movie that I hate or anything. So And I then I was like aggressively like trying to defend it. <laughs> right. And I'm here like, it it's cool. And then you were just like, ah, no, it's it's better than cool. It's it's great. So 
So today it's my turn. My turn. I went in a slightly different direction because 27 Dresses is a, I would say it's a more well-known movie than the yes. movie that I picked, which is Orange County. Orange County was a movie that was released in January 11th of 2002. So just a little bit behind, I would say, the teen comedy craze that you and I know when we grew mm -hmm. up. So She's All That, which is an episode of In Defense Of that we did last year. 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, there's a uh, there's a couple Clueless. of other- Clueless. Uh, so all these different teenage high school, you know, comedies kind of came out in that time frame. Right. And this is like right at the end, that back half yeah. of that time period. So uh, without further ado, uh, the movie is a smart high school student with his heart set on going to Stanford is horrified when his guidance counselor accidentally sends the wrong transcript with his college application. So this is a movie. Uh, okay, so let's get this part out of the way right away. There's a lot of nepotism here up front. Uh, yeah, this yes. is a mark against the movie. Even though these people are fine, like there's yeah, nothing wrong with this cast and these uh, behind the scenes people, but like when you start tallying it up, like this is a negative. <laughs> I, I totally understand. Totally get it. So this movie is directed by Jake Kasdan. That is the son of legendary screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan. Um <laughs> But he's made a name for himself as a director of like just decent vehicles here and there, like Bad Teacher in 2011 with Cameron Diaz and Jason Siegel. That's actually on Netflix. You can watch that now. Yes, it is. And also he has directed the two Jumanji reboots, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle and Jumanji The Next Level uh, movies. The first one, which I enjoy, I think the is The first like one fun. is passable. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the second one's uh, it, it's it. It's too much. There's too much going on in that movie. All so right. now the movie is written by Mike White. Mike White has collaborated with Jack Black like he did in this movie quite a few times. He uh, wrote School of Rock, the movie, and he also wrote Nacho Libre, both movies starring Jack Black. And he is the creator and writer of the HBO series, The White Lotus, which came out in 2021. So last year. And that was like the talk of the town when that was up and running on HBO. So, I mean, it's not bad names. These are names that have done stuff that we have heard of, you know. I think Mike White is a pretty good screenwriter. I think so, too. Like, based on School of Rock and Nacho Libre alone, I'm sure that's not his full filmography. That's just what you've put in here. Right, of course. Those two movies are so great. Yeah. Um, I love Nacho funny. Libre. Yeah. So hilarious. So That's a movie that doesn't get talked about enough. We like, just looking back, looking <laughs> I back. I love Nacho Libre. And I, I mean, what's sad is that that would, movie would never be made today oh, with God, Jack Black would, starring. No, of course not. Never in a million years. So which, that's, that sucks. Which sucks because I freaking love what happened in that movie. Anyway, that's another tangent we went on. But who stars in this movie? So starring in this movie is Colin Hanks. He stars as Sean. Uh, Colin Hanks is the son of very, very famous actor Tom Hanks. Yes. Uh, we have Jack Black, who we just mentioned. He plays his brother, Lance. We have Skylar Fisk, who plays Ashley, who is Sean's girlfriend. Is also, she the daughter of Sissy Spacek? She is the daughter of Sissy Spacek. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Uh, and then the the supporting cast is just stacked with comedy legends. Like yeah. We have 
Catherine O'Hara plays Cindy, who is Sean's mom. We have John Lithgow, who plays Bud, Sean's dad. Yeah. Those two are divorced. Uh, we, we have, have Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis is the dean of admissions. We have Chevy Chase, who plays a in a brief moment oh plays a high school, um, uh, high school principal. Um, <laughs> you have, and then there's a big uncredited. Uh, act, it's not even a cameo. He got he has a full scene, but it's Kevin Klein who yeah. plays the t- the the actual author that Sean is obsessed with, but he goes uncredited, so you can't oh, even find bizarre. him in the. Tr- he, yeah. You can't what about Ben Stiller's in this? Ben for Stiller a randomly shows up in this. Uh, there's a name that I'm missing. I know I saw some. Leslie Mann shows Leslie up. Leslie Mann, uh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, she it yeah. plays Bud's younger new wife. Uh, mm-hmm. So it is, it's stacked with a lot of people. Gary Marshall makes an appearance. That's like, right. Gary Marshall. That's the one I was thinking of. So, so this is a movie that in that time, if you were to take 2002, you look at all those names, those names mean a pretty big deal in the comedy community. So filling out your supporting cast with all this talent, all these names you would hope to give it some credibility pretty much to right. this movie. That's what you're trying to do yes. with this. So now you mentioned that this is your first time watching the movie. I've this seen this movie. This is my first time watching this movie raw. Right. So I've seen this movie a couple of times. And so I wanted to get your thoughts. Just what did you think of the movie itself? Um, I thought that it had all the trappings of like a teen movie. Um, but then it tried to be a little bit smarter and it felt like it was mirroring the main character in that, like, you know, he's pretty basic on the outside. But when you dig a little deeper, he has a little bit more nuance than the regular teen movie. OK. And I think it was good and bad at the same time, because I think it's rather forgettable in mm. the grand scheme of things like in the grand scheme of teen movies i'm never gonna be like orange county bro like no never <laughs> but <laughs> but i like the performances i like this cast i think jack black is like firing on all cylinders he's just like chewing up scenery and so is a lot of the supporting cast and i don't know i think that might be a negative toward the movie is that really? you have Catherine o'hara john lithgow like gary marshall like all these people like just so like I don't know like they're like overshadowing this little boy Colin Hanks over here and his girlfriend Skylar Fisk um who plays Ashley and like I don't know it, it's about them so it's about them but you you might be more drawn into those supporting characters I think I way. am drawn into like the neurotic drunk mother and John Lithgow's like pitiful attempt at like being a cool dad with like a hot uh second wife like you know it's kind of funnier that way than you looking at at it from sean's perspective i see what you're saying okay sean's journey like his journey is pretty serious i think compared to everything that's out of control you know yeah i i agree with that his journey of wanting to not only be a writer, but the fact that he feels that his family gets in the way of everything. Yeah, he, that he wants, wants to, to escape do. from his family, which is a very common feeling at that age, you know? Oh, totally. To want to uh, assert yourself and like stake a claim and 
follow your dreams and all that shit. And I don't think this movie does anything groundbreaking to say. Right. Because we've seen stories like that where people want to escape where they, they grew up or, you know, the people around you may be a mess, but they're a lovable mess. And, you right. know, there's there's tons of stories like, like other. This. What are other movies that have like a quirky ass family, but like a serious central I complex? Mean, Little Miss Sunshine comes Little to Miss mind. Little Miss Sunshine comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, that. that the right Royal Tenenbaums is like a quirky ass family with their own like, you know, each one is very much. You know the main character when you when they focus right, on right when they focus on them yeah yeah so so you do get examples of this in other movies other genres other directors uh, what I do appreciate though is bringing that into the teen comedy something that we we you never really see it in teen comedies because most teen comedies will deal with something more on a superficial level whether it's looks whether it's you know, I want a boyfriend or girlfriend, or I want this super bad. I want to get laid. Yeah, or <laughs> the super or bad clueless. kids. Are just like... It's all about being like very popular and having like all these clothes and everything. And yeah, there's a matchmaking. Matchmaking. Like the, uh, original. So a lot of that is <laughs> usually true. what litters a teen comedy. Right. So the fact that this is trying to do something just slightly different, where it's focusing on I want to better myself. I want to you know, escape what I feel is tying me down. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that. That is something that I appreciated. Um, does it hit all the time? No, it doesn't. I'm, I right. will flat out say. <laughs> because I think that if the movie is going to try to do what it's trying to do, it's got to fully commit. And yeah, I don't that's, think it does. Because there's doesn't. still like piss flying around and like, you know, speed in Excedrin bottles and like a f- you know, college frat party and stuff like that. That's very mundane when it comes to teen movies. And then you have like a very profound sort of like thesis also, like it just doesn't mesh very well. Do you think, and not to step on the toes of uh, one of the reviews that we're going to read, but do you think this movie would have been better served if it was like rated R because it is a PG 13 movie? Yes. I do think it should have been rated R. Okay. Just so they can like really dive deep into how immature like his friends are and just how crazy it could be going to college while at the same time trying to. Well, here's the thing, like gross out humor is never like going to make me laugh. No, I, that's fair. So I would say rated R, but cautiously because mm. the stuff that can be made more of a hard R is not what I'm gravitating towards. Right. Okay, so maybe maybe they this, can say fuck a few more times, right? Like, that'll so may- be more realistic. Exactly. I, I don't know. <laughs> so maybe it can lean more into like the independent comedy type of thing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, versus the gross out teen comedy type of yes. So maybe that would have. <laughs> but made that's it- a personal thing because some people yeah. really do like that stuff, and you're right. I'll about find that funny. So. You are right about that. So a couple of details about this movie besides the cast. So this movie did make uh, $41 million domestically on an $18 million budget. So it made its Not money bad. back. Yeah. It made 43.3 worldwide. So it basically You can tell made, that this is so geared towards an is, American audience. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, the movie did garner 47% from critics, a 61% audience score. So just slightly- just slightly positive on the audience <laughs> score. And the critics' consensus does state 
smarter than the average teen movie, but a little on the unmemorable side. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I to- I totally understand. Uh, there, There's moments, I, I guess it, I caught it at the right time when I saw it, because I did see it pretty much right around when it came out, not oh, like really? in theaters. Okay. I caught it in that year, though, in 2002. I was in high school at the time. So okay, it, caught you it does, at the right time. It caught me at the right time. So yeah. being able to see someone who was just gonna go to college while I'm right. like, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore, and seeing like him struggle just trying to get out and trying to wanting to go to a school that he really wanted to go to mm-hmm. really struck a chord with me. Um, I don't. I'm not here to say that I see myself in Sean. You know, in any way, like you want to be a writer. <laughs> well, I did want to be a journalist at one point. You want to go to Stanford? That. Oh, I never, I never envisioned Stanford for myself. <laughs> never, no way, no, thank you. I didn't want to move out west. No, no, thank you. Um, yeah. Okay, not to, not to crap on the west coast or anything. But anyway, so, <laughs> and then at the time, Jack Black was pretty much red hot. At that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was very popular. Very popular. So it was a mix of different things that hit at the right moment at the right time for myself and even to a certain degree, my brother as well. Mm. We both like walked out of this movie or, you know, came out of this movie, like really enjoying ourselves, really seeing ourselves in certain characters and also enjoying the heck out of the supporting characters. Because I do know that. I get it. The movie is supposed to be focused on Colin and and maybe it's a negative that the supporting characters get so much time or so much love. I actually view it as a positive being able to expose a young generation to all these great comedic talents that, you know, most of the time you're not really getting that type of supporting cast in a teen comedy. Look at any team comedy. You're not getting all these like legendary comedic actors. To okay, fill so in. here's here. This is something really stupid, and it it could be considered a tangent. But do yeah. you know this movie called Sleepover? Sleepover. Yeah. It's not ringing a bell. Okay, <laughs> let me pull up who's in it. Um, the girl that plays Carmen in Spy Kids. Spy. Oh, uh, oh, what's her name? Her name. I'm gonna give it to you right now, but. That movie has a bunch of like really stupid good supporting cast. <laughs> Alexa Vega. Oh, Alexa Vega. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I know so who it has she is. Jane Lynch in it. Brie Larson is in it as like a mean girl. Steve Carell is in it. Jeff Garland. Sean Ferris. You know that hot guy like from the mid 2000s? He had the mole. Oh, he was yeah, a never yeah, back yeah. down. He was never back down. Yes, I know. Okay, that, that guy's is. like the hot guy in it. Evan Peters is in it before he was famous. Like it goes on and on. Yeah, this, this is a pretty stacked cast on the on the I periphery. think Bill Hader's in it. Just randomly. He's like <laughs> plays like a cop, like a neighborhood cop. Of course he it's does. one of those where I feel like it has the same thing that you're saying right now for this movie. Right. Like it's basically has like culture <laughs> pop culture <laughs> in a movie. Like you right. should know these people, and here's like your introduction to this like shitty ass like teen movie, you know? Exactly. And so, so I actually appreciated it because I happened to grow up with Catherine O'Hara in different movies, you know. Home so, Alone. so Home Alone, <laughs> Beetlejuice, yeah. uh, and obviously the Christopher Guest movies. Like she is 
fantastic in those movies. Uh, so that was a huge thing for us. John Lithgow was a big one for us when we were growing up, me and my brother. Uh, obviously, we didn't I remember watch- him from uh, Harry and the Hendersons. Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like a Bigfoot well thing. He is very well known for Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> um, and so we, we appreciated, I appreciated that. And I, I want to talk about it later because I think it's such a great scene is Kevin Klein showing up in this movie. Kevin Klein has the best scene of the movie, I think. He does. He does have the best scene in this movie. <laughs> if I do um, say so myself. <laughs> let, let, let's save that for a little bit later. But for now, let's see what the critics actually said. And I okay. think we may agree with a lot of it, but there might be one or two things where I kind of like, eh, maybe not so harshly. So All right. You want to go ahead and read I'll, the reviews this time? I will go ahead and read the reviews. You are on the defending side. I am on the offense. Very light offense. So Very light offense. Maybe I'll kick up when we're reading these. So the first one is from Roger Ebert. Raj. Yes. Here's Raj. what he said. Orange County has the form of a teenage movie, the spirit of an independent comedy, and the subversive zeal of Zach Zach Black. Zach Black. <laughs> <laughs> the sub oh my god i can't say it now the, the subversive, subversive zeal, zeal of, of jack black of jack black whose grin is the least reassuring since jack nicholson it's one of those movies like ghost world and legally blonde where the description can't do justice to the experience it will sound like the kind of movie that if you are over 17 you don't usually go see but it isn't it wants to appear to be a formula teenage screenplay Sex and dope jokes, girlfriend who is almost alienated, alienated, and then reunited, personal redemption at the last possible moment after maximum contrived suspense, and so on and so forth. At the same time, it goes under and over its mark. Under with gags that would distinguish a Ferrelli brother's picture and over with a surprisingly touching attention to Sean's personality changes, his hopes and dreams, and especially his support from the stalwart Ashley. So this is from Roger Ebert. He gave that movie three out of four stars. Shut when, up. When he reviewed it. Yes, that Shut is correct. Up. There have been he better did. movies that have received less stars from Raj. So. <sighs> wow. Okay. I think so, he's on the mark. I think so, for too. For the most part. I don't think he's It's walking off. a tightrope. Right. It is That's a what movie. he's getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he and views I think it he's, favorably. He does view it favorably. And I kind of agree with him when he says that. It's like Legally Blonde in that when you read the the synopsis of what it is, it does not give you an accurate picture of the experience of watching the movie. Right. And that's this movie to a T. Yes, for sure. It's like because when you read the log line, you think it's like a wacky teenage comedy. Like, oh, the... His transcript got sent with the wrong, you know, application. Mm -hmm. Whoa. You know, like it sounds like (laughs) one of those weird ones. But the movie dives deeper into the relationships that Sean has, Uh which I really, really like, especially on this rewatch that I did. Mm. Being able to see how he confronts having a druggy loser uh, brother in Lance, Mm -hmm. how he kind of is the man of the house because, you know, the mom, Catherine O'Hara, doesn't have her shit together. Yeah, she's a mess. She's a mess. So he's the one, you know, making sure everything is tied yeah, down. He's and- the one that's like, did you give Bob his meds? And like Bob's hey. convulsing. Like, 
you he's know, reassuring the the maid, like, please, we need you here. Yeah, you know, my we'll, pay you <laughs> we'll pay you more. We'll pay you more. And it's in Spanish. So like he's learned Spanish yeah. to be able to communicate with the maid and everything. So, you know, he has life kind of like thrusted upon him at a young age. Unwill- unwillingly, he has to do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he still has his own dreams and aspirations. He still wants to do something with his life after what happened to one of his best friends died while <laughs> <laughs> while surfing a giant it, tidal wave. It was much. a, yeah, um, not a tsunami. A, it was like a tropical storm off the coast. It was a tropical storm off of the coast. And, and they were like, dude, let's go. We got to go. And the one friend- waves. <laughs> A 20-foot wave. (laughs) A 20-foot wave eats him up. and He drowns. (laughs) He drowns. And then the funny visual of the the funeral afterwards, everyone wearing black, but it's like black tank tops. Bikinis. Black black bikinis. bikinis. (laughs) Like it it was really, really dumb, but really funny. So I really appreciate that the movie does tackle that and shows that in this character. Like he's the adult in – Amongst his friends, maybe not his girlfriend, Ashley. Ashley kind of has her stuff together, too. Okay, so here, pause, because I feel like I stumbled upon something that I didn't like, is that, you know, you say that he had to grow up, and I don't mind that aspect of the character. What I mind is that he has to try really hard in his personal life, but doesn't have to try at all to be smart and successful in his schoolwork and get good grades and get a great SAT score and, like, He's part of all these clubs and he's a class president and all this shit. Like, I don't buy that for a second. Mm. Um, You don't buy that. I don't buy that. Mostly because I feel like I went to school with a lot of overachievers and, you know, it runs a gamut, right? Like there's people that like never studied and they got great grades. And then there's people like me that had to study really hard to get great grades. And I just don't buy that this kid is like effortlessly intelligent. Um, okay. And I know that it could be a reality because I went to school with those kids. Right. Here's the thing. But I'm still like pissed about it. <laughs> okay. That's saying? that's something different though. Okay. Being so that pissed bothers about it me. Is, right. Because, and I'll, I, because I'll it bothers me, right now. I don't believe it. <laughs> I'll tell you something right now. I never studied for tests. I got A's. I'm, and, I'm checking my head. I'm yeah, my like head. I, I never studied for tests because, and I barely ever took notes because, like, I just could remember stuff pretty well. So I would be able to go into a test and do very well just because I remember the stuff from the class. So does it happen? Yes. Not everyone has that. I just don't. So I, buy so I, it. Can't, and then you know, so I am not really. On the same page there. So my you. secondary thing is I hated how they set up the girlfriend because the girlfriend is set up like a joke because he introduces her when he's like going through this montage of people who have read his manuscript. And he's like, I can't rely on my girlfriend because she thinks everything is great. And they cut to her like sitting on the beach with him. And she's like, oh, it's so great. Like complimenting his MS. And <laughs> like, it's a joke, you know? Right. She's set up like a joke, like a bimbo. She she's not, doesn't understand what she's reading, basically. Yeah. Right. And I hated that because she ends up being like a huge linchpin for him. I will agree. I think that if the movie had done that line, I think is the only line from about the girlfriend that is misleading and wrong. 
Yeah, he's because she's such a huge forward. part of him and his growth, right? Yeah, she is. And like he just like mentions her in passing. And I'm like, oh, so you had a girlfriend this whole time? We're like 15, 20 minutes into this movie. I right. Get she it. she actually helps him by trying to get the connections through so that mm-hmm. way she could talk he could talk to someone about getting yeah. him to school. She's there for the ride when they go up to Stanford. Like mm-hmm. she is a huge part of it. So casually tossing off that, you know, oh, she she doesn't really understand the script. So I can't really trust her because she's a positive and everything is good for her. So yeah, it does seem off. Yeah, it feels line. very demeaning, I feel. Yeah, yes. That that's actually a good word. For her. So um, so two points that you share. I agree with the second here's one. Here's my one, secondary not, not so point <laughs> to my first point <laughs> oh, <laughs> about the go. like I don't believe that he's like you casually don't believe intelligent. That he's, okay, go ahead. Um, is that once he gets rejected from Stanford mm-hmm. and he's there are like he's like still at the school and all these other kids are like, I got in, I got in, oh my god, I got into and she has to flip the paper over to For read Yale. that she got into Yale. <laughs> and I'm like, what the what the hell That's is going on joke. here? That's I just joke. I hate it. I hate it that it's supposed to be a believable punchline that all of these like fools are getting into Ivy Leagues. And the reality is things like that happen. They do. I I know you don't want to accept it and I know you hate it, but I'm just saying that there are people who you and I would not believe in any way, shape or form that they would get into an Ivy League school. And then it turns out they got into the Ivy League It felt like a lesser version of the Booksmart uh thing that happened because they did that in Booksmart where like every kid is like I got in I got in oh I'm going to Google and all that shit right because this one is a very you know dumbed down version of what happened in Booksmart right right I agree with you but does it happen yes it does does I don't want to think that it happens that often and at the same exact school so that's my if I I can believe that it happens on a more national level like oh yeah a few like weirdos and like uh, people who you don't think would even apply to an Ivy League school got into an Ivy League. That's fine. But like this one school has like 20 kids going to Ivy. I'm like, no, no, no. I, again, this is for the joke of the movie. I get you it. Have to I show didn't it. like it. I didn't laugh. It. I didn't laugh. So that's that's totally fine. So uh, we have another big name giving us a review. Uh, this time it's Peter Travers from Rolling Stone. Okay. So Pete says this, call it kids of the big guns. Colin Hanks, son of Tom, plays Sean, a California surfer dude whose girlfriend Ashley, played by Skylar Fisk, daughter of Sissy Spacek, doesn't want him to leave Orange County to study writing at Stanford. The director, Jay Kasdan, 26, is the son of Lawrence, director of The Big Chill. Got that? It doesn't matter. Hanks and Fisk are charming, and Kasdan has lucked out with the deaf script by Mike White. Both worked on TV's Freaks and Geeks, and that elevates the usual teen twaddle by grounding the laughs and feeling it helps that a wild cast, including Jack Black as Sean's druggy loser of a brother, and such vets as Catherine O'Hara, John Lithgow, Chevy Chase, Lily Tomlin, Gary Marshall, Harold Ramis, and Ben Stiller, son of Jerry, keeps the fun at full tilt. It's a New Year's first happy surprise. So this is when he wrote it in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't even mention Lily Tomlin. As Lily Tomlin well. is the, she the, is the guidance, guidance counselor. counselor who messes up by sending the wrong transcript. Yeah. Uh, so this, again, leads to my belief that I don't think having a strong supporting cast that in moments could possibly overshadow 
your younger, not as experienced actors, Mm -hmm. I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because I still think that Colin Hanks, who this movie is centered around, and this is his big break. He didn't really have something going on before this. This is his big moment. I still think Colin Hanks still holds his own because he comes from Tom Hanks. Like he is playing off of his dad. He's using his dad's okay, so mannerisms. He's using yes. his- I didn't mention this in my initial assessment. You were like, what did you generally think of the movie? But look, yeah. Colin Hanks in this movie is playing Tom Hanks. Yes, totally. 100%. Like I'm looking at him and I'm like, damn, he sounds just like his dad. He's given looks just like his dad. It like the mannerisms, everything. It's like Tom Hanks is playing Sean. Yes. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. Yeah. And I think for a first time like movie, I think you got to do what you got to do. And he does a very good job of capturing that essence of what makes Tom Hanks such a lovable actor. Yeah. Before he aged into older roles, Tom Hanks was playing, you know, the lovable goofball, the man child, the, you know endearing uh boyish charm is all that was tom hanks in his earlier films and that's colin hanks in this movie that's colin hanks in this movie and i appreciate it i like it i actually like i'll play devil's advocate and say yeah i didn't like it because it was (laughs) too much (laughs) it was too much of tom hanks yeah. yeah. And you know what? I'll go on a limb. I'll throw some stray bullets to you, uh, John David Washington as well in Tenet because that felt like Denzel was in Tenet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. Just like <laughs> out of nowhere. Hey, let's <laughs> drive by shooting. John David Washington happens to be on the same street for some reason. <laughs> We're talking you know about what a 2002 was? comedy. You know what it, okay, hold on, hold on. You know what it was? What? It's because I read this quote from Denzel today saying that he watched Tenet. He had a screening of Tenet in Christopher Nolan's own house. Of course. And, and he was just like, wow, it's me on screen. Like He felt like the kinship there that he was like, eerily watching a version of himself and he was like wow he looks just like me wow he sounds just like me <laughs> and, just, and then he's like but it's it's my son so like it was a weird father moment for Denzel yeah. and I'm just like you're that doesn't make the people who are trying so hard to make it in Hollywood and be actors and actresses without any connections like that doesn't make them feel any better and I feel like I'm on their side versus like Denzel's side I so I totally get what you're saying. And nepotism is such a problem in Hollywood. It is. And, you know, we can call out however many Hollywood alum that we want to. But I decided to take Denzel down with John David Washington because yeah, I, I just read that quote. So, um, But with that said, I don't think that Colin Hanks is doing a poor job. It's not a movie. poor job. No, I it's will not. give you that. Yeah. So I would say that Skylar Fisk is better than Colin Hanks. Ah, okay. In this movie, because she totally churned out like a run of the mill like girlfriend into someone that you actually cared and wanted. She's got guts. She's got intelligence. Like she's actually carrying the team. You know. Right. I wish I would have seen more from her, just career wise. It would have mm. been really cool to yeah, see. Yeah, it's been twenty years, and I don't, I don't recall watching Skylar Fisk in anything else. 
Right. So it, so that's one thing that Colin Hanks has gone on to have a decent career and Skylar Fisk hasn't really had much actually at all. Yeah. So th- that's some of the negative with the legacy that this movie has carried on, which is yeah. it's not a big legacy, number one. And number two, the stars have not been able to break into like superstardom. Mm-hmm. They have kind of just maintained themselves at the same level that this movie has, which is under the radar. Obscurity. <laughs> obscure type of thing. So uh, now let's go ahead and let's see what. Danny Graydon from Empire Magazine has to say. Okay, Danny said, skillfully balancing comedic set pieces with real issues, the film undulates through a screenplay that plays up the genre formula, allowing for gags worthy of the Farrelly brothers while paying attention to Sean and Ashley's surprisingly touching emotional trials. While Jack Black's manic, if one note stoner, is the principal comedy cell, he's easily matched by Catherine O'Hara and John Lithgow as Sean's demented parents, who themselves are gleefully served by Mike White's zinger-stocked script. Elsewhere, cameos come from a veritable comedy of Hall of Fame, with Kevin Kevin Klein charmingly notable as Sean's literary hero. As for Hanks Jr., he has winningly inherited Dad's easy charm and affinity for this material. Just like we said, like he he basically is his dad. Now, I, I wanted to touch upon Catherine O'Hara and John Lithgow. Let's because do it. I really, well, Catherine O'Hara is amazing in just about anything she does. Yeah. <laughs> and so is John Lithgow. So John Lithgow. Okay, so here's the thing. I feel like I'm poisoned by Shrek. Oh, my God. Because wow, okay. John Lithgow's voice is literally Lord Farquaad to me. It is. I can't, it like, is. hear John Lithgow and be like, oh, it's John Lithgow. I'm like... Oh, it's Lord Farquaad from Shrek. <laughs> so I feel terrible toward John Lithgow. Um, so he was like, you know, doing his thing in the movie. And I'm like, like following along, but also envisioning Lord, Lord Farquaad. Farquaad. Oh, man. I'm what sorry. a way What a way to have him envisioned in your head. <laughs> um, I still, I, I always remember uh, John Lithgow was on an episode of 30 Rock. And he's he's playing himself, though. Oh, good. He goes into the NBC building and he's lost. And he's like, can you tell me where the fourth floor is? I'm looking for National (laughs) Geographic. And like he's in the in the elevator as it's closing. And then like he shows up a second time, still looking around. And then finally, at the end of the episode, he shows up at Jack's office where Liz is there. He's like, this building is like a maze. (laughs) <laughs> I passed by the same Sabaro six times. Sabaro. Can someone tell me how to get out? And they're like closing the door as he's trying to get <laughs> instructions on how to get out of the building. So he always brings his A game. But his style of comedy is not this over the top usually. Like it's no, never it's an not. over the top. So having him just show up and be like this like. <laughs> basically piece of shit dad yes right who's like, like he married oh, yeah. a trophy wife that he met at the gym right he's on the phone making deals you know <laughs> trying to make more money and you know at the end though you you kind of root for him getting back with Catherine O'Hara's character and that's kind. bizarre because he's a cheater right he is. and he's a terrible dad 
And he's a terrible dad. And you're still like, man, I hope he divorces that trophy wife and gets with Catherine O'Hara again. It's crazy. It's crazy, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. how that character makes you or Lithgow Sells allows it. that character to make you like kind of root for him. Like, yeah, come on, get back together. Like with, low key. With- like I want him to be happy. Like and he's. Like he just deserves the life that he has. It's terrible. He's he's depressed. He's miserable. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe he can just <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love how easy him and Leslie Mann's character kind of just like call it quits. She, yes, like, I love that too. That was funny because you know he he slept with his ex wife. They're at her house. She stops by with the kid. Yeah, it's like what is this? It's like I want a divorce. Really? Well, she's like, did you sleep with your ex-wife? <laughs> like, not even and mad about like, it. Gross. She's just like, yeah. Gross. And then he was like, I want a divorce. And she's like, really? Well, she, he goes like, I want a divorce. You can have the house. And she's like, really? What about, uh, you know, whatever the kid's name is? And he goes, I was thinking we could have joint custody. And she's like, all right, cool. Like, can you take him now? Like, I want to go to a club that's like pretty, <laughs> pretty hopping or something. And he's like, OK, yeah, and takes yeah, yeah, the kid. Sure. It's very casual. It's I like very the nonchalance. Cash. Like yeah. nonchalant. Like, hey, you and I both know we're not happy. Let's just let's just yeah. wash our hands and let's <laughs> let's be yeah. done with it. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoy him. And I do enjoy Catherine O'Hara because it is a woman who obviously is a mess mm-hmm. and she realizes she's a mess. And doesn't want to let Sean go because Sean is the one keeping things. He's the glue that's holding the family together by the skin of his teeth. He is holding this family together. I thought, okay, this is bad. I thought that Bob was the grandfather for like half the movie. Oh, and then she says something like I married like a dude and he fell apart. And I was like, wait a second. Is the guy in the wheelchair her husband? Bob. Yes, it is. <laughs> I was tickled by that. She was like, "Yeah, I married this dude. I had sex with him four times. Like she four knows how many she counts." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that oh, is so man. funny. I know. Um, yeah, Catherine O'Hara. Nothing bad to say. All good things. She is. You great. know what it is? Is that we do we? I feel like we don't really get a mother figure that's like a mess the whole movie. Ah, yeah, you're right. You know, they kind of have a breakdown and they have a moment where they like lose their shit and then they get back together a little bit. Like maybe it's not even like complete like 180, like they got their shit together, but they do clean it up. Right. She's a mess from beginning to end. From beginning to end. Even when Lithgow shows up at the house and she tries to like fix herself up like in the kitchen. No, (laughs) it's still a mess. Yeah. Like she catches or he catches her and her hair is like you know, standing up and he's her like, makeup's running. Like, but Lithgow's like, I want you back. Yeah. You know, like, and so I like the straightforwardness of it. I do like the straightforwardness of it. Um, speaking of comedy legends, Harold Ramis is in Harold Ramis. Yes. So Harold Ramis does give us just a few moments where he's like the serious person for like a couple minutes. Yeah. And then the wackiness in the movie. He comes down the stairs and you're just like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. You can see it. And like, I always found hilarious when he sits down on the couch. Yeah. And then he's like, Sean, we're the same height. Yes. I just every time he said that. How cool is that? How cool is that? 
I just died every time because it's such a like a simple line, but like the way he's like Sean, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and like he like measures. <laughs> he it up raises with his, his eyebrows. Raises like he's his like, eyebrow. <laughs> it's so, really cute. It's you know really what? Cute. That's another like similarity between this movie and Booksmart is that there's like a drugged out like sequence. Yes, there is. There is, man. Um, a lot of similarities huh. from from a movie from the past. Okay, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Okay, with now, comedy legends. <laughs> with okay. comedy legends. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's take a look at a couple of bad reviews. Now, I think that these two reviews, and you can read them for yourself, but I yeah. think that they take a lot of what has been said by the first few, and kind of just you know looking Flips at it, it from. From the other side, pretty mm-hmm. much. It's yeah. the same wording almost. But go okay. ahead. Okay, so here's a, a review from Time Out. You could, for instance, be quietly charmed that MTV Films has made a movie about the call of literature and lightly amused by screenwriter Mike White's conceit that said call is heard by a sweet-natured individual not ideally placed to cope with it. On the other hand, the urine-quaffing gags and hearty barfing asides are the lowbrow price extracted for such gestures towards semi-intelligence. And I 100% agree with this review. (laughs) Okay, so I am going to go ahead and step out on a limb, and I am going to name the things that I feel are bad about this movie. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So, number one, I am not a fan of like bodily fluid humor. So yes. the thing dealing with Jack uh, Jack Black's uh, Lance character's urine because he's on parole, I don't find that great. I don't find great when he just randomly barfs on the screenplay that Sean shows him. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I always get this. I don't like that either. I'm not a big fan. Um, one thing that this movie has plagued against it because I don't know if there was something that Almost every teen movie needed this, but we get not one, but two random dance scenes. Yeah. For no reason. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have the songs. Oh, no. Yes. Go ahead and play Come them. My Lady by Limp Biscuit. No, no. It is That's not a- Come My Lady yes. by Limp Biscuit. No, I know exactly what song this is. <laughs> this is Butterfly. Yes. Come My Lady Butterfly. It's Butterfly, but it's not by Limp Bizkit. It's by a, a different group. But no, that song is dog It is overused. I think they use it like three times. But what I do like, though, is that the main, the main character hates that song. And you yeah. see it on his face. Yes. And he knows that that song sucks. <laughs> As we know years later that that song sucks. Yeah, it's uh, the anthem of the movie, but he it hates really is. it. Yeah, yeah, it's the anthem of the movie that he hates. And so we get a random dance scene after he finds out that the counselor has sent in the wrong transcript. Like the, the cheerleading squad is like dancing to it like they're practicing in the middle of the courtyard where everybody else is that randomly. And then we get it again. We get this damn song again at the college frat party Yeah, where he's talking to a girl. He feels like. Huh, this is maybe interesting conversation. He's trying to ask about favorite authors and she kind of like, whatever. I think Faulkner. He's, he's asking about Faulkner. Right. And she and gives then, her honest thoughts. Yeah, honest and thoughts. And he's like, oh. Yeah. And then uh, her two friends, one of them played by Lizzie Kaplan, just yeah. random. The song comes on and they just go wild. And then they're they like, start, oh my God, it's our song. 
they start dancing like the a choreographed choreo. dancing. And it looks like the same choreo. That it kind of does. Do. And he's like sitting on the couch just looking at it like he couldn't believe this. He cannot believe <laughs> that this is what's happening right now. Yes. I couldn't believe that it was happening because I I don't get it. I don't get the whole dance scene in a movie. Choreographed dancing. I don't get it. We had this conversation okay. last year with We had this conversation last year with She's All Bad. And I will say that this dancing feels way more out of place in this movie than it does in She's All That. Yes, I agree. Because in She's All That, at least they're doing it at the prom. It's a prom. You know? <laughs> yeah. This one, the first one barely makes sense because it's a cheerleading squad. Eh. And like it's not even like cheer choreo as well. No, it's not. It's it's like them it's like actually dance, like dancing. It's like dance squad. Like, yeah, choreo. dance squad stuff. And then the second time is at a frat party. Yeah, and like, like seven and girls like get into drunk like this girls formation. Get in, exactly, they're like in formation. What? So it doesn't make sense. So these are these are bad things. These are not very good things. Um, I will say that some of the humor at the expense of Bob, the old man who's in a wheelchair. Not necessarily great. You know, he's always getting hurt for laughs or something is happening to him for the sake of a joke, for the sake of a laugh. Yes. So so not great. So there are things that I can say that are not great about this movie that this review by Time Out does land. And yeah, urine (laughs) quaffing gags. I mean, it's right. He's right on the money with that. I did not see a single she. person of color in the movie. That is a that and here's is a the thing: there's problem. other movies of the era that have people of color in it. At least, at the very least, like even she's all that that we did last year had like freaking Osher in it with actual lines, and like the friend was um, black as well. Like it just like yeah, like not even like, on the periphery were there. No, exactly, um, POC. not even a periphery character. Like so, so that's enough. That is it's a knock. Not. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't with no, the choreo. It's a, no, it's it's terrible. All right, and so finally, I'll go ahead and read this last one. I go so, for it. So this is by James Barard Uh He is a reviewer for, I believe it's Real Review. And so there are times when Orange County tantalizes us into believing that it's going to rise above the low level occupied by most card-carrying members of the bloated teen comedy club. Unfortunately, such glimpses are more the exception than the rule. Despite its occasional stabs at taking a more thoughtful approach, this is still a movie in which a woman nearly drinks urine, a popular cheerleader type has sex with grunge outcasts, and an old man is repeatedly hit on the head with heavy objects. (laughs) Or still... Because this movie has been forced to carry a PG-13 rating, lest it be unavailable to its target audience, it is unable to attempt anything inventively raunchy. So we're once again led down the same blind alley into which we've been trapped by countless other lowbrow teen comedies. That's a little more scathing than even I think in my head. However, I do think that it's not inventively raunchy. (laughs) Like... I agree with that. Yeah. So you and I, I I mentioned it earlier on when I said I didn't want to step on the toes of the review, but I did have this one in mind when I asked the question of if this movie should have been rated R. Mm. And I think it would have, well, the R that I'm imagining is not like the super raunchy type of R, more Mm -hmm. of like the independent film R 
where it's more about the cursing and yeah, maybe there's a sex scene in there somewhere, but, uh, but that leads into more of, oh, this is a creative. It's not person. like the American pie. No, route. not American pie more along the lines of, and I think you mentioned it, not that the movies have any similarities, but uh little miss sunshine type of route where it's a dysfunctional family and you see like the true dysfunction. Like you see someone who's truly on drugs and like, you know, you see them at their low point or you see the mom is really like out of her mind or you see, you know, you see like just random stuff like that with the occasional maybe cursing or there could be like certain things. But I think that would lean more into what the movie was trying to aim for versus it's teen comedy. Like it, it has to grapple with the fact that, Oh, we are a team comedy. So we have to put these things in. Yeah. So I think that's just the the curse of the beast with that is like we're making a teen comedy. We have to sell this to teens. We need them to laugh at the gross out humor while at the same time trying to sneak in this message of, you know, bettering yourself and wanting more going to college, stuff like that. So I did want to pull out the popular cheerleader type has sex with grunge outcast portion uh, of that yes. review because that is a major negative. I think that that character is a stereotype and it's not a good one the only reason i would have it remotely in the movie is because of the editing they did on it like when ashley the girlfriend's like i need you to call your grandfather and she's like why would i do that and she like has all these like terrible things terrible things ashley is gonna like spill the beans on and like all it takes is like a quick flashback or like a montage sequence and then boom, like they cut back to act to the cheerleader and she's like, hey, Grammy, like, how are you? And I just like, <laughs> I love that editing on it. Yes. The but editing the is funny. the actual character sucks. Oh, No totally. pun intended. And like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't think the girls are necessarily the best written in this movie. It is a shame because- I think the girlfriend character of Ashley could have been even stronger. Like it, she still pulls out what she can out of the. She's role. also like a punchline because she cares about animals, and like that scene with Chevy Chase where she's like, "I read this thing about the seagulls that are dying by the hundreds, and I think that we should do a fundraiser for the seagulls." And he's like, "Okay, fine." Like you're kind of siding with Chevy Chase and like rolling your eyes at the girl versus being like, okay, she's like actually passionate about the environment and wants to be a marine biologist, which comes into play later in the movie where she's like, I'm, I'm going to go to a community college here that's by the ocean and is for marine biology, basically. Like it yeah. gives, gives me a better chance of doing what I want to do. And which makes way more sense than like playing a joke on her and the seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. You are right. And I I do appreciate now that we are getting better comedies that focus and try to write women in a smarter light. Hmm. Obviously, when this was written, wasn't exactly the best time. But I can't even say that because just a couple of years before, we've had stuff like She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You, Clueless, female-driven comedies mm-hmm. that were smartly written. Yeah. Whether I agree with some of those movies or not, I still can ap- appreciate that they wrote the female characters well. Mm-hmm. This movie does not. Yeah. This movie treats the female characters as secondary characters instead of 
giving them moments to shine, especially the girlfriend character. That the girlfriend character Crime. should be jail a strong character. Strong. What they did for her and her intro, especially, is a crime. Um, I want to touch on the surfer dudes. Ah, because they're like mildly homosexual. Dude. Yeah, they are. Like, there's like a weird homoeroticism going on between them, but they don't commit fully no, to they it. Don't. And it's a joke as well. Like, oh yeah, yeah. he. Uh, what was he doing? He's fondling my, and then they like cut it off, right? And they cut it off. Yeah, that's true. And it's just meant to be like, ha ha ha. I guess they're like, you know, what? What's the punchline? I'm like confused. Yeah, that was another. It's not thing funny to me. Of that '90s, early 2000s era is like they being homosexual is treated as a joke in yeah. anything. Um, so like, even you can even take one of our favorite shows of. Seinfeld, right? When they talk about like, you know, I'm not gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we joke about that, but even like that, that's still taking a joke of like, oh, you know, he's he's just having light at the fact that he said that he's not, you know. Mm. And, but you see that rampant among the 90s. There was like this homophobia, but also treated as a joke. And it carried over into this movie uh-huh. with, yeah. with some... With those pretty, two characters and like, those- why are they... I don't get it. Right, because they like never they have fully enough. commit to what. Yeah. Either they're just dumb and they could stay just dumb. They could stay just dumb surfer dudes. If they are going to try to blow to up, trying to blow up their fallen brothers like board surfboard exactly. <laughs> either you you stay there, or if you're going to commit to writing these characters and having this insinuation about them, then just just go with it. Just, just go with just it. Just run like, with it. Yeah. All right. So this is some of the, these have been the bad things, obviously. I just want to, before we get out of here, touch on no, some of the Kevin good things. No, Kevin Klein is a scene we have to talk about. That's what I was going to okay, say. cool. And there's another scene that I'll bring up and that's way lighter than the Kevin Klein scene. All right. So here is where I want to focus what I think is the best part of the movie. Okay. And it is when Kevin Klein shows up as the author, Marcus Skinner. <laughs> and yes. I think his conversation with Sean. He understands Sean just by reading the novella. He he knows what Sean is after, but at the same time is telling him, this isn't finished. It needs an ending. Mm-hmm. And I just love that he is the one that kind of describes to Sean, you love these characters. You love the people that you wrote. You love where you came from. And But I, I can love- feel that you're conflicted about exactly. it. And it's it's a nice way of wrapping up the themes of the movie just in case you didn't get it, you know? Right. Just in case you didn't get it, this moment kind of wraps everything up, but it wraps it up in a way that is coming from a from a caring voice inclined. Unbiased dude. Yes. A guy who shows up in the third act of the movie. Yes. Like, you don't <laughs> see him before this. Yeah. And I really love that scene because it drives home the point that you don't need to escape what you have in order it's made to become, you who you are. Right. And you to are be- a writer. And that's the thing of the movie as well is, um, you know, I, I was an English major in college and I feel like I've had these conversations with people where they're like, whether I had it or I was present or, you know, I was giving this conversation to somebody cause I was like critiquing a paper. Yeah. Is that you 
just need a little bit of confidence sometimes from somebody else, some validation from somebody else to let you know that you are already on the right track. And, you know, gaining a Stanford admission is not going to change the fact that you already are a writer. And that you don't have to try and escape, like you said, Orange County. Um, You know, all so many great writers and they mention a bunch. You never moved out of their hometown and it made them who they are and it made them famous. It gave them something to write about. Um, And that's really profound, I think, especially in the context of this really gross out teen comedy is that you have this like slow conversation between Kevin Klein, who's actually giving this dude the time of day. Yes. And, you know, it coming from a mentor, this means so much. Yeah, it, it can mean the world to someone young who who idolizes a yeah. a figure. In this case, yeah. it's an author. And being able to get that validation from someone like that is you take that to heart, you know? Yeah. And in this case, Skinner is basically telling him, you are a writer, but don't try to escape what made you who you are. And that was what I thought when the guy, when the kid, Sean, was like, I need to become a writer. I'm like, well, he's already a writer like in my mind when i was watching the movie i was literally telling myself in my head he's already a writer i'm confused he is already a writer but the thing is when you're young sometimes you're dumb that you don't see the truth right away yeah you don't see your own truth so you you think that you need to do these certain things in order to become what you think you're you know what you're aiming for Mm -hmm. but in in the meantime you've already started the process you've already begun Mm -hmm. what it is that you want to do you know, he's writing hours each day, you know, and he can't put down a thought until he's like fully done. Like that is the, that is the work of a writer right there. Yes. You know, <laughs> so the fact that he, he's still, you know, is young, he still is still in high school. He's a senior, but yeah, you know. I mean, there's more to craft and better um, ways to get better at what you're doing at what your passion is. But on the whole, what Kevin Klein is seeing is something that I think the audience probably already knows. Exactly. But but the main character doesn't. The main character is still oblivious to what it is that he has. Mm-hmm. He has a And the duality it. of your hometown, like I feel like that's also a very common thing is that we all have a complex relationship from where we about where we come from. Right. People who want to leave their hometown because they feel like they could do more outside of it. Without realizing. Yeah, grass is always greener on the other yeah. side. Without thing. realizing that it's because of the hometown, that's that's the person they are. That's what made them who they are. That's what makes them special. Exactly. So, uh, you said you wanted to bring up one more thing. Oh, my God. So, the Go teacher at the beginning of yes, the Yes, this is what I was going to bring up, too. <laughs> oh, my God. So, the teacher is played dying. by Mike White, the, the writer of the movie. Oh my he god, I didn't in, know that was Mike White. He has been in School of Rock and he has been yes. in different things. So he is a writer slash actor, but he mostly writes. Um, Which scene are you bringing up with him? Holy shit, is the Romeo and Juliet scene. Yes. Oh my god. I was hilarious. like, this is top tier comedy. This one scene is so good. He says, now when I say Romeo and Juliet, who comes to mind? Girl raises her hand. She says, Claire Danes. And he's like, that's right. Claire Danes. Who else? The fact that he says that's right. Claire Danes. <laughs> and then. Wrong. 
Oh man! And then another kid goes Leonardo DiCaprio. Right, goes, right. Who else? Who else? And <laughs> and Sean's there raising his hand, like just begging to be called on. And he goes, "Well, you know who else was involved in that movie? Who is in some ways as famous as Leonardo DiCaprio?" <laughs> it's starting so good. And his name is William Shakespeare. <laughs> and some great movies have been made based on his plays: Hamlet, West Side Story. The Talented Mr. Ripley. No. Waterworld. No. Gladiator. <laughs> Chocolat. Chocolat. Bro, I, bro, I died. First off, I, I lost died. to the Talented Mr. Ripley. But then yeah. he, the fact that he ends it with Chocolat. Chocolat. Just chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. kiss. It is fantastic <laughs> that he ends that with Chocolat. Oh, my God. I could watch that scene on loop because I love it so much. But it's the it's the thing of like, that's right. Claire Danes. The delivery. Yeah. <laughs> It's, the dead ass, like the, that's right. That's right. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. That's right. No, 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 no. That, it's all wrong. It's so wrong. It is so wrong. But I mean, that's one of your movies, isn't it? Danes, yeah, DiCaprio, man, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo yeah. plus Juliet. I say Romeo plus Juliet. The other day, I heard someone say Romeo and Juliet with Claire Danes, and I was like, "Bitch, no." It's Romeo, Romeo plus, plus Juliet. Juliet. So. Okay, so I think that might put that wraps the kibosh on this. Um, I think that coming out of this review, I can acknowledge the faults that this movie has for sure, but I still think it is strong enough that people can give it a shot, watch it, and capture those performances of a young Colin Hanks, you know, trying to recapture his dad's youthness and yeah, uh, youth, not youth. Yeah, I know. Why why does add ness to that? Capture his dad's (laughs) youth or you know, seeing these supporting characters come in to, you know, fill out the movie and also watch the Kevin Klein scene and be able to really sit down and, and think about what the thesis of the movie is. If, mm-hmm. if you're not fully understanding it, which the movie is pretty easy to get through. But if you if you want to sit down and see a scene that is very charming and very, you know, hopeful, that scene right there is very nice to watch. I don't think we talked enough about Jack Black, but Jack Black is pretty excellent in the movie. He was giving a lot of like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Along Came Polly oh, to me. Oh, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. Um, it was like the same energy, but like way more manic. When when he is in his room like vacuuming and then <laughs> yes. he does like the the somersault over the bed for no yeah. reason. <laughs> no reason. It's fantastic. I love when he goes. He's in underwear like 90%, 90% of the time. 90% of the time. And he jumps into the pool, but before he jumps into the pool, he, he takes off his takes socks. Off his socks <laughs> that for no me. reason. For it's why so is he fantastic. taking off his socks? He's already in his underwear. He's already in his underwear. <laughs> and I remember, it's not a funny gag, but me and my brother always laugh, is when they're in the pool and they're talking and we should go to Stanford, blah, blah. And Jack Black says, I could get you there in three hours. And then it cuts <laughs> to him on the highway, just like zigging, zagging. Yeah. We yeah, yeah. always laugh because it's like one of those things where like, you it's see a good editing. You, yes. It's great editing. And you see the like craziness in his eyes. I could get you there in three hours and just like, <laughs> boom. And like, it's, it's great editing. Just great joke delivery with editing. Yeah. So yeah, he he's great in this movie, and Jack Black. We don't talk enough about Jack Black. I think. No, I think he was. But he's really good. He's a funny comedian that just didn't get. I don't think gets enough recognition for how funny he is. So, yeah. So that is our, in de- well, my in defense of 
Orange County from 2002. Yeah. Uh, check it out now. It's on YouTube for free. Yeah, we watch it on YouTube yeah, for YouTube free. YouTube movies. So YouTube has movies and they had this one for free. So check it out if you want to. Uh, let us know your thoughts at Always the Critic, Always Critic Pod, which is on our socials, which is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Check us out yeah. there. Give us your thoughts on this movie. Uh, also, if you are very much enjoying this episode, go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. If you really like us, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, which you can do now. That will be a huge help for us in our show. If you've done all of that and are looking for something else to help out the show, check out our page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod and be, consider becoming a patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can really help us out and be able to produce this show for you guys. So next week, we do have a bit of a special fun episode planned for you guys because, again, we're in the doldrums of January. Although, I will say, I did see the new Scream movie with my brother, mm. and it's actually pretty good. Shut up. It's actually a pretty good movie. Um, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the movie is very aware not only of itself but it is aware of how people view franchises to the point where they talk about almost talk about the rules of franchise movie making and it's very smart in the way it handles it um, and the way the movie like lays it out so it's like meta it's very meta very meta so your brother loves meta movies he does and he loves the scream franchise i I like the first one, and this one I like too. Part four is fine. The other ones are okay. So, but yeah, it's still a fun movie to watch here at the beginning of the year. So, Scream. I who who knew? Mm-hmm. Not me. So no, stop. <laughs> who would have thought? Who would have thought? Me. Not me. All right. So, with all that said, this has been our show. I'm Rico, and I'm Jessica, and this has been the Always the Critic podcast. Yeah.